Hi, and welcome to the Online Performance Podcast, the podcast that aims to help you elevate your online earnings. My guest today is a blogger, digital marketing consultant, indie creator, author, designer, course creator, and he's had some wild success with AI over the last 12 months or so. He's also very well known for his website, bloggingguide.com. I'm really pleased today to welcome Casey Botticello. Welcome to the podcast, Casey. Well, thanks for having me, Jason. I'm a big fan of the show and excited to hopefully share some useful knowledge with your listeners. I'm, I'm sure you will. It's, it's a real pleasure to have you here. And, and actually, as I was doing that introduction, I almost had to take an extra breath because there were so many facets to what you do online. So I'm sure we're going to dig into a lot of that today. Was there anything that was incorrect in what I said there? There's probably a few things that were missed out. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a mixture of things pretty much. Uh, every way of making money online, I would say I pretty much tried short of launching like a SaaS product, I, I, anything that involves being the individual contributor. Yeah, I've probably done that. So yeah, fantastic. We're definitely going to dig into a lot of that today. So we start off each podcast with the same question. And that question is, what is online success? What does that mean to you? So to me, online success is being able to, well, I guess in business terms, at least, being able to create a sustainable, scalable, lucrative online business that generates income and allows you to replace your full-time job or significantly supplement part-time job. For me, there was definitely that desire to break away from the nine to five. So I'll always sort of benchmark online success as, you know, replacing your, you know, your traditional income with something different. But I, you know, even if it's just supplementing your income and giving you some flexibility, I would still definitely call that success. But for me, the goal has always been full-time income. Yeah, I suppose there are varying levels of success, aren't there? And I think that's an interesting approach to, to how you ta- how you put that there. And that's certainly a process that I went through. From I, I was I used to be in employment for about fifteen years or so before I ventured into the online world. So, could you just give us a bit of a background as to to your online journey or how, how you went from? I mean, I don't know. Do you, were you working full time prior to I, being online? I, I was, and I was on a very traditional career path. I graduated from Penn, and like most of my classmates, anyone who does well pretty much looks at investment banking or management consulting. I had done like the internships, and I was fully prepared to go down that path. And I did take a management consulting job right out of school, but I ended up back here in Washington, D.C. at another nine to five job. This was, I guess, 2015 to 2018-ish. So I was doing a full-time job, but I started basically just writing for fun on the side. And slowly I started to realize both just through experimentation, but also through my job, which was in digital PR and lobbying for a pretty big firm here in DC that content can be worth a lot you know it depends on who the end user is but you know the same person or different people will pay different prices for content and that principle applies online too so i kind of started as like a ghost writer doing a lot of 
basically spec work for different different organizations that wanted to promote a message or wanted to advocate for something. And as that started to take off, I had the chance to work remotely for a brief time prior to the pandemic. And then the pandemic hit. And at that point, I had I decided basically, you know, I'd already decided, but I I fully switched to sort of doing my freelance work. And while I was doing that, basically just through the process of building in public and sort of sharing some of the things I had found, I connected with a lot of bloggers in particular. And I had been blogging for years, but that wasn't really what I would, you know, call myself. But now, yeah, most of my time and income is, yeah, spent doing something related to blogging. Along the way, I've also built a number of paid newsletters. I have a few different e-commerce businesses I've bought and sold, a lot of Amazon, KDP, merch, different things like that. So, But most of the income is from blogging. So. Okay, I suppose that's where the, the the website that you set up, bloggingguide.com, that came along. And that was that was that part of the the idea of building in public, or was this just something where you thought, well, okay, I've got a little bit of a following now, let's capitalize on that, or was it just something completely separate? How, how did that kind of come about? It it genuinely was kind of for fun and I I I wanted to experiment more with website development. So I was like, you know, probably the best way to learn is to dive in. And I, you know, like my, the sites I build now are very lean, stripped down, you know, they're optimized for speed. Blogging guides kind of clunky. It looks nice, but I mean, technically it, you know, it's a site I would never build for Google today, but I had a lot of fun doing all the custom coding and learning how to create, you know, each little effect. So I would say that, yeah, it was partially, there was a little self-promotion, but it was really more honestly just trying to see if I could make a nice website and hopefully document some of my findings. And I think we all go through that process, don't we, where, you know, the, the first few projects that we start, you know, you look back at them now. I, I sent an email out today to my audience and very much said that projects that I was working on five years ago, if I look at that content now, I almost cringe when I look at it and kind of going back and trying to work on it and prove it. That, that's a you know whole separate podcast. But yeah, I, I think that's how it should be, you know. And I, and I think, again, there's a lot to be said for, for learning in that way. Just get stuff up and put it out there. And that that's how you learn. And there's no question that a big part of my own personal journey in this was really learning how to let go of that fear of perfection when publishing. When I came at this from the perspective of like a highly paid ghostwriter, of course, everything was about the the quality of the content. You know, my name wasn't attached to it, Mm. but somebody bigger than me's name was. So it was actually more important that the quality be like A plus caliber content. I think that over time, it took like probably two or three years to break down that to where I could be like, no, I I, I really just need to just publish. And, you know, I can always edit, I can always improve content. But, you know, at the end of the day, you, you, 
you need to publish and you need to, you know, stay consistent with that. So I, for me, that was a big, a big part of my sort of journey getting here. I think that applies to so many different aspects of content creation as well. Obviously you're talking about that from a blogging point of view or from a a, a written word point of view, but the same for YouTube, the same for TikTok, you know, social media, like, like you say, showing up, being consistent, getting that 1% better each time. It applies to so many different elements. So you, you, you know, you are involved in a lot of different things at the moment. If, if you were kind of just coming into this now, or, or even now as you are, where do you see the, the biggest opportunities for, for, I don't know, even if you just think about it from a making money online point of view, where do you think the biggest opportunities are now? Because like you said, you talked, about, you talked there about e-com, you've talked about KDP, blogging. Where, where, where is it? Or is it everywhere? I mean, it is everywhere, but you're right. To try to make it a little more granular, I, I would first think, sort of it depends on the individual obviously but it if you're the type of person that wants to build a team and likes that management role they like scaling something but maybe you're not like the creator sort of behind every piece of content then there's still probably a lot of opportunity in the traditional sort of blogging niche space game and, you know, that could be affiliate marketing, it could be ad-driven, that could be lead gen. But I, I do think that, yeah, as we've seen over the past six months, you know, Google updates have kind of shaken a lot of people's faith in the long-term viability of that model. I haven't been hit very hard by any of the updates, and I have like 25 sites, so... That's impressive. That is yeah. seriously impressive. Well, and there's a degree of luck to that, but but there is there. I've I've learned a lot. I also do some like just for fun and to learn, like some site consultations and auditing sites and going through stuff and just helping out friends. One thing I've definitely learned is that the caliber of content, you know, when people are really honest with themselves. And they really dive into it. A lot of times we were probably benefiting, you know, three years ago from basically Google's inability to, you know, sort of suss out some of the, you know, keyword stuffed, overly SEO optimized content. And I always stayed away from that despite thinking very much in terms of SEO, but I tried to not structure the content like a traditional you know hired writer would and i think that made a big difference in the sites so i do think actually there's a lot of potential still you know i i've launched four sites (laughs) this year 2024 and so i'm not like personally i'm i'm not just saying that i i actually am practicing what i preach I and I, I document these on my site, but I, I had a site in the last that was started in 2023 and it grew from zero. It was fresh domain to over 20,000 a month on Mediavine. So, you know, that wasn't it all in 2023. I mean, the entire process. So is blogging dead is, you know, is it not going to be viable? 
I think it'll deter a lot of people, all this volatility, but in a lot of ways that opens up a lot of opportunities, whether you're looking on the acquisition side, a lot of people are, you know, multiples were pretty high just 12 months ago. Now you could probably get a site for sometimes half of, you know, what you could have got it for. So, yeah, absolutely. I just wonder then, obviously you've been, you've been putting content on bloggingguide.com for a few years and, and giving advice. How has that advice changed over that time? And more specifically, I suppose, over the last six to 12 months, would the advice that you've given in the past, do you think that has changed? Because you've just said there, you you very much took a almost an anti-SEO approach where you were very much writing for the user, which is what we hear a lot about now, particularly post helpful content update. So has your advice changed, do you think? Or, or you, has your approach changed a little bit in some of the work that you're doing now? Yeah, it it has changed. And I, I try to update or keep the content consistent with where I'm at. But the probably the biggest shift was I was definitely, I was skeptical when AI content came onto the scene. Like I said, it the, the whole purpose of it is to replace people like me. So that that's, you know, that's a pretty daunting thing. And, and I knew AI was going to, at least it would take a while before we get anywhere close to that level. But I knew that it didn't matter. In the meantime, the sheer volume of content you could produce could have an outsized impact. So I was maybe like a year ago, even though I started experimenting with AI immediately, like even before like chat GPT came out, I was trying kind of some of the more primitive tools. But yeah, like at the time, my advice to readers was Google hasn't really sanctioned they you know they hadn't really made a a formals you know the yeah. they changed their actual like wording of their policy to sort of include ai content and say basically as long as it's helpful content it doesn't matter you know who or how it's produced and that wasn't till february of 2023 i believe so up until that point i was pretty much like don't go down the the rabbit hole of you know all this quick you know, anything that's quick, you know, it's probably a bad idea. It's not a long-term sustainable business model. It's just a money grab, but which I generally would not advocate. So that's why I, I was very skeptical. Again, though, even though I was skeptical, I was aggressively like building sites and testing it. And that's, you know, where I ended up finding a lot of success. The The site I mentioned that I've talked about in other places was seeded with content that I personally wrote, but I then scaled it using AI content. And part of that was actually having AI write portions of the content, but part of that was content ideation and just automating sort of the overall workflow. And basically I was able to, I had a team of maybe seven writers sort of at my peak before AI and now I'm back down to a, a like a full-time team of one basically me so I, I do have freelancers that help with various tasks but I mean I, I was able to cut you know 10k a month in expenses mm. so you know 
AI was coming for a lot of writers' jobs. Again, that really included me. And I, I was basically like, you know, I need to be ahead of the curve on this one. And so far, it's been pretty good. I, I still, that's why I like having different sites. I like having a site like Blogging Guide where I meticulously research and write every post myself. I wouldn't dare try to put an AI generated article on there. But there are some topics and some places where AI content can be useful. And that's why I've also mentioned the other businesses, because AI can be used in e-commerce and, like I said, other forms of online business. Brilliant. Well, I'm going to quiz you on that in a minute. So we're definitely going to come back to that. So with your projects now, you just said you've started four new websites in 2024, and we're recording this on the 9th of January. So that's pretty good going. Are all those projects now in utilizing AI? To, to some extent, yeah. One of them one of them is sort of like just a pure AI test. So that's 100% AI. Then there's, I mean, it's literally like I'm feeding it like seed keywords and it's generating one click articles, like just at the other extreme to test. That site's already doing pretty well though. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, the fact that it's already even, it was January 1st, it was started and it's already gotten its first click. So I'm, I'm a little, I'm excited about that one. But then two of the sites are about what I would call like 50% AI generated. These are sort of ones that I go in after the AI does like a first attempt at a first draft and I'll manually edit, create images, add media, stuff like that. And that's sort of the sweet spot. And that's really more what the site I was referring to before that I saw a lot of success with was. And then there's one where, again, this is more of just an experiment, but it's like, a mixture where some posts are AI, some are entirely written by me. And the the purpose behind that is not just to A-B test whether AI content works. The purpose is to see if, you know, the AI is better at writing some some types of content. So if you have like listicle content, if you're, you know, increasingly sort of, you know, summarizing information like AI can be perfect and that could be from a creative use like not just generating written content from thin air but sort of like transcribing like a podcast and including like excerpts from that so that's sort of kind of the approach yeah I think that's interesting as well because you are thinking of those more creative ways to use it you're not literally just I mean obviously you are at the one end of the extreme you are just hitting a button giving it a keyword and then publishing and obviously that's an experiment and a test but then at the other end of the extreme you are using AI in much more creative ways and I, and I think that is I think that's probably why you've had the success that you've had because you have tested you have experimented you've you've used it from a very early point in time as well. So so I think that's really interesting. So if someone was coming into the space, if, if we think about it from a blogging point of view again, or, or from just from a, a content website point of view. So if someone's new to the space, can they leverage AI? Is it something that someone brand new to the space can do? And if so, can it be done on a, a small budget, so, so to speak? Yes, the answer to both is yes, I think. You definitely, anyone 
who I would say would have the requisite skills to sort of compete in the content site space, meaning they could build a site maintain it themselves, mm-hmm. just a simple WordPress site, but, you know, has some basic understanding of that, has at least a little bit of experience writing or is willing to learn, has kind of the basic SEO fundamentals and knows, you know, generally what content should look like. Yeah, I think that pretty much anybody can use AI either to produce content directly or to just augment that process. As far as like, is that expensive? I'm in a couple different masterminds where we like kind of AIs become the focus. And in one of them, there are like, and I don't think people realize this about AI, like the people that are really doing AI are doing like things like they are spending exorbitant amounts of money. They have like 30 person data scientists, like teams that are like going through and doing like their own like custom everything like they are you know it's it's at a whole nother level so there is that extreme but i'm not at that extreme what i do is actually extremely high roi and i think most people could probably do something pretty close to that i mean i literally started with chat gpt (laughs) so i mean you know, I, I don't even use the premium version. So like I, it, yes, there are some barriers to entry. You you still need to understand, like I said, all the things that would have made what makes a website great. Basically that doesn't change, but it's pretty easy, especially if you've maybe been doing this just for a little while, even, and you've delegated work to writers. Maybe you've even written some of the content yourself you can pretty easily figure out, you know, where there are areas, you know, that you can save on time or money. And at the end of the day, I think you have to view all this for what it is. Like I'm viewing it as a business. I have a few sites that are kind of more like passion projects, but I very much separate those and I I treat those differently. Like I said, blogging guide does earn money, but it really is more of a passion project. It's where I have fun. It's probably like affiliate school. You know, it's almost a personal brand slash, yeah, just sort of repository for all my experiments. So I'm a big advocate of having a site like that. And I, I really do think everybody should probably have like a, either a personal branded site or like a sort of small solo entrepreneur yeah. site. But besides that, I would advocate, you know, definitely using AI to scale everything you can. I mean, there, there's so many uses. I It's hard for me to imagine somebody couldn't find a use for AI to improve their workflow. So, Brilliant. Well, we're going to test you in on that in a second. So uh, we are going to come back to that. So just, just on a side note then, are there particular pieces of software you're using? I've heard you talk about Koala Writer in the past. Is that still your kind of go-to? It is def- definitely for the content that's like one click and stuff like that. Koala, I, I think it's among the people I've talked to who don't have cus- fully custom built yeah. systems. Koala is the best. You know, I, I I also had the just sort of the privilege of I was on a private forum with the founder 
and I watched the idea come to him and like literally saw him build it in real time. And prior to that, he was just like a niche site builder like me. And when I seeing him build that, especially at the exact same moment where I was like, man, if only there was somebody who could like quickly crank out a product that could like, you know, automate 70% of this, I could, you know, go wild and like, I just didn't have the technical skill set to build that type of tool, but he did Connor. And, you know, I I think he, you know, it's, I'm not saying it'll forever be the number one AI product, but it works really well. I mean, and it honestly replaces so many other functions, whether it's the, now it has the AI site mapping, so it can do all the internal linking based, I mean, just... (laughs) That's what I mean. So like just the amount of time I save, like not having to like worry about internal links, like or external links or, you know, you know, you can even include your affiliate links to be strategically placed throughout. I mean, the time savings on that, even if it's just rewriting an existing article are huge. So, yeah, quality is my probably just the easiest because I honestly use it. So I I. Uh, that's why I recommend it. Honestly, I do use chat GPT still just because when I'm doing more tests and creative stuff, I, I just kind of like to see what it comes up with. And honestly, like the the more creative you are in prompting it, you you can get sort of wildly different outcomes and information. So that's good. I I have tested a few of the other tools. I think most of them are probably within like 20 to 30% range of like the quality of Koala. So I, I'm not, I think you could get by with a lot of the tools, but I built a lot of that site last year using both free chat GPT and Koala. And that's not very expensive. We're talking, you know, 30 cents to 50 cents an article. So I, I used to pay writers, and, I, and since I was a, a writer and had a good relationship with lots of writers, I paid my writers well. So a yeah. lot of, so, I mean, and I know you're very, you know, focused on that with the education sort of background, like, you know, you understand sort of the, the value of having these basically subject matter experts who actually know what they're teaching. Yeah. So I've tried to find other ways for those team members to stay involved some of them have just kind of left freelance writing altogether. But a few of them, I'm doing a couple experimental projects where I'm trying to scale the actual AI content production. That's the real bottleneck. And that, like, honestly, if you can solve that challenge, like, that'll be like the first, like, niche site, you know, billionaire, like, whoever does that. So. I want to dig into that in a little, in a in a bit more detail in a minute, and we're definitely going to come back to that. So, we want to test you on these these different scenarios then for AI, and they might they may well you may well just come back and say that the answer is the same for all of them. But I've got three scenarios or three types of business that potentially could utilize AI, and I just want you to give me an idea as to how you might implement it. And you you probably got experience in some of these. So the first one is e-commerce. So if, if there's someone that's running an e-commerce store, that's listening to this podcast, they're thinking about trying to bring AI into their business. 
what would your advice be? So AI is pretty good once you have a little experience with it at writing accurate, punchy copy. So I would like, yes, yeah, sometimes you can see these hilarious, nonsensical answers, but for the most part, if you're giving it the right information, and like I said, you take a little bit of time to sort of train it on what you're, it's supposed to be producing, you can definitely do like product descriptions, entire, you know, product categories, you know, all these pages that, especially if you're an e-com person, you probably don't have a team of writers. It's a little different when you're in the, you just produce written material because writers are always an option. But if you're an e-commerce entrepreneur, you probably are leaving money on the table by not creating more product pages, more detailed product descriptions, by not, you know, I mean, the uses are kind of endless. So actually e-commerce is probably, it's not the way I'm using it the most, but I think there's a lot of potential there. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. I agree. I think there's so much potential with e-commerce for it. So then look at it from a completely different point of view. What about a local business? A local business, but they've got an online site, you know, they've got a website. How, how would you advise them to utilize it or would you? I Definitely. Part of it's the same where if you're a local business, since you typically don't have access to writers or time to write yourself or you're, you know, not a writer, I think there's a lot of use. I, I was working with a, a dentist who kind of had used ChatGPT on her own to generate an immense just sort of basically blog level of like content and she was generating all these new local leads through that so it almost like she was doing her own rank and rent sort of thing but for her and i thought that was really clever and of course she can attach her credentials to it so that if you are the subject matter expert you know you have that advantage so let ai do some of that grunt work and, you know, whether it's a construction business, letting it sort of do like articles on different materials, on different finishes, you know, even letting it, you know, just it can definitely lighten the load. I would definitely create it kind of like the e-commerce store, everything from like the meta description to the body content. I mean, you can even run your different titles through it just to kind of find different ideas and that's the stuff that holds up a lot of local business owners because they're not writers and they're not used to publishing you know content other than like their main sales page maybe yeah absolutely i suppose if you're a digital marketing company as well that's working with clients like that like in the e-commerce space the local business space there's so many ways in which you should be utilizing ai to, to you know improve your offer or service level to those types of clients I would think that's actually the probably the person who could benefit the most from mm. all of this is because of course someone who's doing an agency like that they they're always balancing quantity and quality so if if you know you don't have to outsource certain tasks if you can you know just get your first draft like 50% better like that's a big deal like when you start scaling that so absolutely and and as you already 
pointed out the, the the costs are so much lower as well. So you, you're saving from that point of view. So then the, the third scenario that I wanted to give you was someone that's involved in video. So potentially a YouTuber or someone that's producing TikTok type content. How, how would you use AI in that? So, and I don't know if you've, you've used it in that way yourself or if you've got any ideas on it. I, I've, I've used it and this is basically, so this is the way I would recommend is you can take either your content if you have video content or you can take other video content for the purpose of like, like I said, you're looking for quotes or excerpts or something that's not already published in text format online. And you can, I mean, that's part of why I use Koala is they have a whole option where you just enter the YouTube URL and it doesn't just, you know, it doesn't transcribe the interview it actually synthesizes and you can choose the different like voices, you know, a, a pretty good article based on that. And it'll draw inferences, make links to other videos, stuff like that. So especially if you have like a back catalog of like video content, I mean, having someone else write that content to publish on your site is probably worthwhile. but. I mean, this is just so much lower cost. I mean, you already produce the content, you know, like if we were doing it for this episode, you know, it would make sense for you to like, you know, do like the takeaways and it could pull out these three responses, you know, that I'm giving to your question and it could expand upon them. So, and I think that that tip right there should be one of the top ones because I think that's an absolute massive knowledge bomb that you've just dropped there. I think that's a, a real good one. It is there. There's people who are like, I'm really surprised how slow people are at adopting some of this. I thought these opportunities would be gone by now. And so I sort of tabled that because I don't personally have a lot of video content. So it's like, I don't, I didn't know what the use case was, but I mean, there's people, you know, and as you know, it's producing video content. I mean, it's incredibly difficult and the time it takes is immense. Like, why wouldn't you also want to build like a parallel site that you could like funnel all that traffic to? I mean, like it's, I I mean, that's exactly what AI should be doing for you basically. No, I think, I think you've certainly got my mind ticking there and probably a few others that are listening and watching this. Okay. So let's go back. I want to dig back into your kind of AI processes then. So what does your day to day look like right now? Are you, are you the person pressing the buttons and editing the content and that sort of thing you said you've you know you've got you know you've you've not necessarily got the support in terms of writing writers that you used to have so you are you taking on a lot of that or have you got processes in place i i'm in the middle of i i was trying to sort of outsource you know that's the tendency of anyone who's done anything online long enough is to systematize and then outsource the problem is they're really aren't that many people just because it hasn't been around that long, that many like AI writing experts, like I'm, you know, if, if you are knowledgeable about AI writing, it's almost like, you know, it'd be like finding a really good niche site operator. Why would they work for you sort of thing? They're, they're out there and they're making a lot of money is the, I could never afford that person. It, I honestly, I haven't even found that person. So that, that's a, that's like a big bottleneck. So I kind of backed away from the 
systematize. I did document the processes, but right now I'm really kind of in the trenches and I know it's, you know, it's not what people like to hear. It's not the like, I'm on a beach sipping pina colada sort of thing, but I am very much like seven days a week, you know, 16 hours a day kind of real other than like the few podcasts and other, you know, things I check out online. Like I'm been, this last year has been nonstop for me and I'm very much basically the person who's, which I enjoy doing sort of the high level. Okay. I've identified a niche. Here's the potential. Usually it's something I like, but sometimes it's just some in the past, some set of keywords that I've discovered and knew there was untapped potential. And I marked that for later, but it was like, you know, I never would get to that because in the previous world that would cost too much for me to do like a, you know, I can't have like a team of writers working on 30 sites for me, but now I can, you know, kind of do that. So I'm both going after things I left on the table before, but also finding new things. And yeah, that, after that, though, I am literally like, I use a few freelancers to help systematize, scrape, and like organize sort of all the keyword content that I'm going after. But I'm very much like nobody is performing any of any, more than one task. I'm sort of, you know, I don't even think most people who are working now doing my freelance work would even know what the end product is. I think they just think it's somebody doing keyword research or whatever. Even then, I do most of the keyword research myself. It's really just using them in the same way I use AI, like just because I I know that at scale I can do it cheaply. So, yeah, I suppose the key thing is as long as you can still be strategic and and be able to take that step back and and and, and plan new projects and and all of that sort of thing, which you can because. You know what it's like when you're writing content yourself from scratch. That is very, very taxing. It's very time-consuming. It takes a lot of mental energy. Whereas I suppose using utilizing AI in that content creation process, it it alleviates a lot of that, I guess. It, it, it does. And the way I would compare it or sort of explain it is really it's it's almost like having like bionic arms or something where it it's not that like I'm fully like a robot and things just, or I have a robot doing work for me it's really more like the you know the same hustle sort of grind that I applied before can now be scaled 30x probably so you know unfortunately that's and that's like probably the biggest moat to all this people would say well if I, if you can do it, then anyone can do it sort of thing. And that's, that's like in principle entirely true, but it, you know, I'm still going through and at the beginning I was spending like three to four hours when I say like editing and rewriting and, you know, making custom visuals, infographics, videos, whatever. So my article process has for each site, it starts in about that range, three to four hours per article. And then I usually can get it down under two and in a few case for a few of the sites, it can get to about an hour, maybe 45 minutes, like for 
large swaths of articles. So it's still, you know, so if you want to crank out, you know, 100 articles, that's 100 hours best case. That's still like a substantial part-time job over the course of like a month even. Yeah. So that's why like, you know, that's why I was saying if somebody could systematize and scale at, you know, the operator level, yeah, that would be the person who could. But again, it it takes so much money and, you know, it, it, it basically gets you back to the same point where now you're just, you know, you've gotten to this model where I can build a site for like 500 bucks that can make me thousands potentially in recurring revenue before I had to spend 10,000 to 50,000 to do that. If you start hiring, you know, experienced AI operators, I think you'd be spending even more than that. So it, it definitely may not be like, like a 10 year business strategy, but again, once you have like traffic, as as I'm, you know, you know, I mean, just being in the affiliate space, ads are not the highest like yeah. form of you know monetization. You know, some of these right now, I'm just doing that because that's the easiest and it fits very nicely into my model because I can't worry about like striking up a partnership deal or finding that negotiating some crazy affiliate commission, but eventually once I come back and I have all these sites and they're sort of at the more mature level, yeah, I'll I'll go back and do that. And two of the sites, I've actually built a community around them. So I've added like an actual, so one has like a subscription newsletter. So like they're, they're, they're kind I'm trying to future proof them a little bit, but I think the main thing is I'm just trying to get to the, traffic before someone else does and then hopefully once i actually have people real people engaging with the content you know that that the hard part is already done and the moat's sort of already built once you have like a community yeah no i i like the fact that you think in long term as well and i think that's one of the big differences with your approach to maybe some of the other approaches we see online there's a lot of a lot of people talk about AI and churn and burn, and it yes. doesn't necessarily need to be like that, does it? No, and I, 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 I get the temptation, like I, I really do, and that's like kind of what that one site I, I mentioned I started, I guess that might be. But even as I'm doing that, I, I'm always like, you know, for me, my shiny object syndrome is finding other ways to monetize the site. Yeah. Like, because that's like a productive distraction. So yeah, I, I I never understood really the, I mean, if you do the churn and burn, like you can do it with AI, there's no question. But honestly, now that Google's gotten a lot better at, I mean, it, it Google searches horribly sort of in disarray right now but the fact that like it is much harder for a site to survive sort of like six to 12 months i don't think churn and burn's really the right approach i mean it's an approach but i don't think it's the highest roi one like i said the the best example is still the 
that site I started last yeah. year and just put in like a thousand hours of editing. And that site, like I said, in yeah. December did 22K. Even in January, it's only, it's dropped a little bit, which is to be expected, but it's still like 15, it's on track to like 15 to 18. So that's like a real business. And at, at those multiples, you know, you could probably still, even today, get like, as long as it's not in a downward trend, get 35x maybe. Yeah. So yeah, I that's where the opportunity is i think yeah absolutely and and the fact that that say that site sailed through updates and all of your other sites sail through updates i think that is a testament to that so you obviously are getting something right that a lot of us even you know creating handwritten content blood sweat and tears are not necessarily doing but i think i say blood sweat and tears there a bit nonchalantly and a bit throwaway but actually you are putting blood sweat and tears into this and i think that's important that people understand that that ai is not necessarily just a shortcut it's probably just yeah. a more optimized way of doing things but you you mentioned the words grind and hustle a few minutes <laughs> ago and i want to switch away from ai now and i want to get more into casey the person okay. and what's led you to this point where you know you are having really really good success at the moment so you also mentioned the word entrepreneur early, earlier on do you do you see yourself as having that entrepreneurial mindset? And and if so, do you think you've always had that? Is that something that you've always had, or is it something that you read about or what saw? No, I I definitely always had it. When I was, I've had like pre internet, there were lots of businesses. Even in, I almost deferred going to college purely to run a vending business that like a vending machine business that my friend from high school and I started and we got like a few major contracts just by like knocking on doors and talking to people. So I I definitely have always been entrepreneurial, but I think what really attracted me to sort of doing all this online is honestly when you're an entrepreneur, you have to focus on risk management and Online projects offer like this total asymmetric, you know, reward where I can make enormous amounts of money potentially off a relatively small investment. And by minimizing the downside risk, you know, again, it doesn't mean it'll happen for you or that it won't take many tries. But if you compare this to something like real estate, like I have family members who do very well in real estate, but I wanted, you know, even do something kind of flashy and like change the zoning of like a com office building to like mixed use, like residential that we're, we're talking about like millions of dollars needed to like do at least in my area, like a very small project. Yeah. And even then you're looking at a pretty low return compared to like, you know, the, the sites like like I was just talking with a, a friend who actually has like a, a legit like commercial real estate sort of brokerage. He was talking about somebody making like, you know, just kind of 10,000 passively like through this triple net lease. And I was like, I mean, I, I probably have like 10 of those incubating and I didn't have to put up 3 million to do it. Exactly, so yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, so 
another question I like to ask people is is about person personality. And the question I was going to ask you is: Are you an introvert? Would you class yourself as an introvert or an extrovert? Because typically, extroverts are more open to risk, and introverts are more risk averse. Not always, but quite often. Would you, where would you see yourself? Because I always struggle with that question. I really struggle with it. I don't know if you find the same. I I do too. Just because I'm definitely more introverted. And like, that's kind of like my default, I think, nature. I'm, uh, you know, this doing all this work, you know, if, if I had like a, a team and all that, it would be great, but I'm very much like physically alone sitting there doing this (laughs) and sort of of like, (laughs) yeah. And, and short, that's why I do things like masterminds or building in public and community. I'm sure that's why, you know, you do a lot of the same stuff. I mean, otherwise you're just sort of shouting into a void. It's sort of daunting, but so I still need, you know, connection, but like generally introverted, but I've never been, I, again, I, I think of it as like risk management. So I, I'm, if the payoff is big enough, like I'll, I'll take what maybe somebody else would see as extraordinary risk, but only at like i said the the right the right sort of ratio and i'm very much you know like i i count on having the best acquisition cost up front that way if things don't work out like basically i know and that's why i like ai content i i know i'm only spending this much amount not borrowing money mm. i'm not even dipping into like substantially like savings or anything i'm able to and that's why i don't mind putting myself through the ringer sort of for this too is you know that there probably will come a day when these exact strategies won't work and you know some people would say that's like six months from now i'm more in the like probably it's been really slow for people to adopt so maybe two to three years but it's hard for me to imagine that those skills won't be applicable again in another digital marketing business. So, I mean, in most of us who have been around a while, like kind of have lived through at least a few different eras of boom and bust. And I think that's like true of all entrepreneurs, but especially if you're an online entrepreneur, every few years, there's like, you know, a new trend or a new, you know, new shiny object or a new threat. So part of it is just, you have to have that conviction and just sort of push through and not get distracted by the noise. I think that's interesting, actually, that you talk about pushing through and conviction, because my next question was going to be around potential setbacks that you'd have had in the past. You know, you've been in this game for a, a reasonable amount of time. Have you had any kind of major setbacks most of us have and and if so you're happy to like maybe talk about one and and because essentially what we're trying to do here is to help people avoid making the same mistakes or even just to allow people to see that you know you can make major mistakes and learn from them and as long as you do that it's all it's all good i was gonna say like first of all yeah i make a lot of mistakes like i that's like the the business model like i expect most things not to work so we're when I talk about like asymmetric upside, that sort of implies that, you know, I'm focused on like 
a hedge, you know, a portfolio of basically a lot of small bets where I know only a few of them are going to pay out. But they, when they do blow up, they'll blow up big enough to, you know, recoup the rest of the fund and then many times more. Yeah. So I, I experience failure all the time and I try to like make that clear in my writing and blogging guide that like, like even when I did that case study site with the site that w- I could have never known that site would have done so well, that was, you know, an aberration, I think, even with all the hard work I put in, I actually in that same case study did another site, which had almost the exact opposite outcome. And nobody really focuses on that. Yeah, of course. Which yeah. I, but I, inc- I still include that in the like income update reports, because I want people to see and there's very divergent outcomes. So I, and you know, that site's second site's interesting because it it was labeled a failure, like when I first talked about it, but really it just took longer for it to work. Mm. So basically like it was a year behind the other site and now it's starting to see some decent growth. So I, I think that speaks to a lot of this that like you can't predict like the timeline, but you know, if you don't give up on your project, it doesn't necessarily ever have to become a failure. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's when you call it, like, I, I'm not saying you should stick to things that are, you know, horribly, you know, wrong. But like, if, if you believe in something, I, I think you do need to expect that, yeah, th- there's going to be failures. To give you a more concrete example, I tried buying a site that I hadn't built that had been built by somebody who's actually pretty big in the niche site Twitter world. So it it came from somebody who you would think would, you know, maybe the site might withstand some of these updates or have like a better than average chance, Mm -hmm. like a pretty, a pretty well-known like SEO. And this site has been obliterated and, I, it's been like, that was like the big loss last year was I, now luckily I did some creative financing on that with some seller take back. So the, I basically only paid for half up front and the rest was like almost like an earn out. So I, the fact that this, I got crushed, I'm basically just not going to get the rest of that, Mm -hmm. you know, money recouped but I'm not out the full amount. Yeah, cool. But so I think that like, you know, that, and you could say like, does that mean though I never would buy a site again? No, I, I think that was, again, that's a small sample size. There are sites out there that I would buy. It's just right now, like the cost of building is so much lower Yeah, that it, it just doesn't. And the other thing is I don't, you know, I, this guy probably, he didn't say he did, but he probably did some sketchy things like link building. I mean, not that link building is inherently sketchy. I mean, he, but he probably specifically did link Certain building. Certain types strategy. of link building, yeah. Yeah, and and like maybe I didn't pick that up in due diligence. Yeah. yeah. But again, that was why I structured the deal financially up front the way I did. I was like, yeah, this guy's probably trying to screw me. So... I'll, I'm not going to give him a hundred percent. I'm not going to, I'm going to say, you know, I, I have this inflexible, indefinite financing at 0%. Uh, 
And that way, if the site gets clobbered in six months, you know, I have an out. And not to mention that site, although it was a total failure and I don't even like checking its earnings anymore, that site was my gateway sort of to Raptive as an ad network. So basically, like I've been able to onboard other sites because this site, because that site at the time was doing so well. Yeah. And so that was part of the strategy is you got to come into these things expecting the worst. And, you know, I, that, that's what happened with that one, but it doesn't mean I wouldn't try that again. So I, I think, like I said, you have to find the right deals and be willing to take the risks still. Absolutely. So on the flip side of that, then is there a, is there an end game for Casey in, in where, in whereby you would sell all of your sites? Or is do you set goals like that, like financial or that that side of things? I I do say I'm big on well, yeah, I'm big on goal setting. I wouldn't say that like I have any specific plans to sell all the sites like in one and like sail off into the sunset or anything. Yeah, probably not. I honestly like I've become so accustomed to working all the time. Like I went on like my first like vacation in like years for like a a true no phones allowed with my girlfriend like a few weeks back. And it was like a three day weekend. And I was like, you know, I I was like, yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, and it wasn't just like, oh, I needed like social media. No, like not knowing where my earnings were, not like seeing the the analytics, even the things I don't like about the business, I was like, what am I doing? Like, so I don't, I don't think I could quit cold Turkey. Mm. I think, and that's the beauty of this is that I probably will sell a site or two this year if I had to guess, even though I don't have any specific plans to, but just to de-risk probably a little bit. That site that is doing really well is definitely on the like yeah. if if it can get to twelve months, I mean, just to end the case study, I mean, yeah, it'd be nice, yeah, give it closure, yeah, yeah, it would be nice i I know people lo- just because people are rooting for it to fail, I kind of want to keep it just to like spite everyone, but i I'm much more pragmatic than that, and if I got the right offer, I probably would sell it. But no, I I don't. For me, there's there's no no firm end goal. But I would like to I would like to have you know my goal is maybe over the next five years to sort of future proof myself because I do see a lot of change yeah. in like AI more broadly in the workforce and basically my goal is to never even consider going back to a real job and i'm definitely like doing fine right now but i you know i i do think ai will disrupt things and again like i might have to live off you know less you know i may not have the same earning potential in the future so 
you got to make hay while the sun is shining, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Coming towards the end of the podcast, just want to ask you this, this final question. One, one tip for being successful online. If you had, so there'll be, there will be lots of people listening to this that are, have not had such success or they're just getting into it. What would be your one tip to kind of achieve success online? I mean, I was one of the people who I would, in my mind, have said up until maybe two years ago, I hadn't achieved any success online. Part of that's like my like self-doubt, but part of that is the reality that this was, you know, I was seeing like geometric growth, you know, years, the first eight years, you know, were like losses or mm -hmm. like, you know, break even so it, you know, you, you basically have to, it's almost impossible to do something for like, let's say five to 10 years that you really hate. So I, I think out of necessity, you have to enjoy it as cliche as that sounds. But I think more than that, you know, it has to be something like you're willing to commit to for like, you know, even though a site can be built quickly and you can exit and those are great stories. That, that shouldn't be the goal or the expectation. I think this should be like, no, you're, you're going to make this, whatever it is, work at all costs, whether that means iterating and switching to ads, affiliates, community model, subscription products, partnering with a SaaS tool like to get equity in that company. That There's so many ways to monetize it that I, I think as long as you basically are willing to stick with it and you have the financial means to do so. So part of that is you have to kind of like get yourself to a place where you're not like, like when I see people or people message me and they're like, I need like a hundred dollars, like this month, like for like my electricity bill, like help me with blogging. And, and I tell people just no, blogging is the, <laughs> the, yeah, the worst thing to do that <laughs> yeah that i was like that you know you you have to you have to have it's less money than like an institutional investor needs or like i said to do real estate or most brick and mortar businesses but you need some base level of support but you know keep your costs low on in your personal life and you know to the extent possible and you know you you just might end up, you know, building ten year overnight success, right? So completely, <laughs> yeah. It's what people don't see, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. You know, KC, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Where where can people find you? Where where do you yeah. hang out? Yeah. So I I guess bloggingguide.com is the probably the easiest way to check out what I'm doing. I post case studies monthly and just other kind of articles. I have name. I have a Substack newsletter by the same name, Blogging Guide, that you can also subscribe to. But I give away all the best stuff in the free version anyway. So there really is no course or paid gimmick. The idea has always been for me about you know share the most useful stuff, and people will you know if they find it useful, they'll you know they'll buy something on the back end, like to say thanks, and that's like. The only people I want buying my stuff are people that already found real value. So I would say blogging guide is the best place. 
but on social media, I'm on Twitter and I'm going to be doing some more YouTubing. So you can also just search Casey Botticello. So brilliant. Well, we'll put all those links in the show notes so people can find you nice and easily. It's been a a real pleasure for me. I've learned quite a lot from listening to you talk today, particularly around the AI, but I think just you talking about your mindset and your background has been fascinating as well. So thank you so much, Casey, for coming on. Thank you for having me, Jason.